0: This episode of the 614 Startups Podcast is brought to you by ECOVE Capital. Are you a researcher or an inventor with a product or technology you want to commercialize and you're not quite sure how to get started? The team at ECOVE can help you validate your idea, secure funding, and provide the support necessary to help your startup succeed. Check out ECOVE Capital for more details. And Thompson Hines. Whether you just have an idea or a newly created startup or already working to scale, Thompson Hines' team of early and growth stage attorneys will provide you the support you need to get funded and succeed. Created to meet the needs and budgets of startups, Thompson Hines' Quick Launch has menu-based pricing and tons of great content. Visit thquicklaunch.com today. 614 Startups Nation. Welcome to another episode of the 614 Startups Podcast. I am here with Jessica Capusta of John and Jane's Sauces. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. I'm excited to be here.
0: All right. I got hella Instagram friends (laughs) and we only know each other on Instagram. And then all of a sudden we're here having a conversation. So this is the first time you and I are actually talking to one another.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: On a podcast (laughs) about your business.
1: Yeah, it's... That's great. <laughs> that's super natural, yeah, right? right? It's super, super normal. Super it's not dash. weird at all. Yeah, no, it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's
0: gonna all be right. perfect. <laughs> well, listen, I wanted to have you on. Uh, I don't have a lot of food and bev people on. I've had a couple. Okay. And I always wanna talk about this industry. Yeah. Because I love food. <laughs> I think a lot of people do. Yeah. And when there's a new potential product on the market that's especially developed here in Columbus, Ohio, yeah. I wanna tell people about it.
1: Oh, that's awesome.
0: But first, we got to get to know you. (laughs) Okay. All right. A little background on yourself.
1: So I found out that I had celiac about seven years ago. Um, And then I found out that my husband was lactose intolerant probably two years after that. Um, And so our options to eat out were pretty limited. Our options to eat at home were kind of limited as far as products you could buy. Um, you know, and things you could make, it it was difficult. And uh, I've always loved to cook. Uh, So I decided to, I was going to make a lot of stuff at home. I was going to take whatever it was that I couldn't have and I could make something. I was like very determined to make that happen. Um, So I started just like experimenting with things, um, coming up with my own recipes, figuring out techniques, doing a lot of research on New and up and coming wellness foods, because a lot of times they didn't include gluten or dairy. So, um, I was lucky that those things were trendy. And I, I developed, you know, a few things that I thought were really great that we used at home all the time. And then we moved, uh, we've moved a couple of times, but we moved to Columbus about two years ago. And I decided that I didn't want to go back and get a traditional, uh, day job I wanted to kind of do something else uh, maybe try something creative or try to be in some other field and I eventually decided I was going to start a catering business because I wanted to be able to make this food that I thought was really really great and give it to other people um and the catering business was um maybe not where I should have been <laughs> um not the space I still do catering um, and it's still fun. Uh, But I think that overall, I found that the biggest hit with everyone was these sauces that I was making. I mean, I've had people take them home in cups (laughs) and store them in their fridge. And people were just buzzing about them all day long after I'd have an event or if I'd bring in lunch for people. And so I thought, you know, these sauces are great. And I didn't realize people were going to love them so much. And they think that they're really needed because I don't, see that product out there for me. Um, So I figure there has to be more than just me around. Uh, So yeah, that's kind
0: of... And Got you're developing hair. a business around yeah. it. I like it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Now you said you discovered you had celiac yeah. disease, right? Yeah. So how did that, did you just not feel right after yeah. certain things or how, how do you come to make that kind of discovery?
1: Yeah. So, so I was sick my entire childhood um, and not like just stomach sick, like always just sick and would get things like several times. Like I had the chicken pox more than once and I had mono more than once and just like was always, always really sick. And the doctors had narrowed it down to, it was something to do with my diet. And so I was off of dairy. I was off of eggs. I was off of nuts. And I I was on a low fat diet for a while. They thought maybe I had trouble metabolizing fat. And I, you know, I have these memories of me being at like a birthday party at eight and everybody's eating cake. And I have my like thermos of chocolate rice milk that was terrible. Milk substitutes have come a very long way. But I just remember thinking that, and it just always was like a theme in the back of my head. that was something to do with what I was eating was making me not feel well. And it went on through college, and then it was maybe junior year of college. I just got to this point where I couldn't eat anymore. My stomach hurt so badly every time I ate that I just stopped eating. And my husband, who was my boyfriend at the time, was like, well, you can't not eat food. (laughs) He's like, that's probably not good for you at all. Um, And so he was like, you know, a lot of people are giving up gluten, so maybe you should try that. And I was like, okay, because at that point I was going to try anything. And then probably two months or so into it, I started to feel remarkably better and just got better and better and better. And then finally went to a doctor to have it confirmed uh, through some testing and biopsies and stuff that it was celiac disease. And that was probably what was affecting me most of my life up until that point.
0: Yeah, now what is celiac disease? So
1: celiac disease is an autoimmune disease. Basically what happens is when I eat gluten, my body thinks that that's like a terrible, awful thing and and it starts attacking my intestine. So I lose the ability to absorb certain nutrients Um, and it hurts and is not pleasant. And I get a lot of the symptoms you get when you have food poisoning. I also developed ulcers quite easily and had them very frequently. Basically, it's just your body really thinks that gluten shouldn't be there and then starts attacking itself essentially, and it damages your intestine over time.
0: I'm glad that you (laughs) explained that for the layman because now I can understand (laughs) it and I can go explain it to somebody else. Possibly wrong, but I feel like I understand, okay, what you were going through. Yeah. Now, how many other people I mean, population-wise, let's just think about the United States, right, are confirmed with this condition, right? Because there's this—I'm always wary of health trends. So like your boyfriend at the time, husband, now said, well, everybody's going gluten-free. You might as well try that. So let's talk about the facts of people who are actually diagnosed with this condition, if you know. And then people who are choosing to stay away from certain things because of—it's a lifestyle choice.
1: So, most of the people who don't eat gluten is a lifestyle choice. I think it's only like one, less than 1% of the population actually has celiac disease. Okay. Um, it's typically a disease that comes from like uh, the UK. Uh, if you have ancestry from there, uh, not always uh, because genes can mutate and change, but typically it's from there. So, it's a smaller. Part of the population, and especially in America, it tends to be less than one percent. But you know, you have probably five to six percent of the population avoiding gluten. So actually, confirmed it's. But I mean, that's still a lot of that's still a lot of people. One percent of our population. It's always four million people. So you know, and then you have another four or five percent of the population that avoids gluten.
0: They're making a a lifestyle choice. And and it's a growing thing, right? And and it's that way, like you said, your husband is lactose intolerant, but there are people who are choosing not to have dairy, even though they haven't been confirmed as having that intolerance.
1: Right, And and both dairy and gluten are inflammatory, so are not, so are a lot of things that I decided not to put in the sauces. I made the choice, even though they weren't allergies of mine, I know that they're common things that are inflammatory and also common allergens. So those things kind of tend to go hand in hand, where a lot of times the stuff that just causes everyone kind of a little bit of trouble will cause a few people a lot
0: of trouble. That makes sense, but right. it's good to understand, right? The audience for your product, yeah. There's there, there are folks out there who just cannot have right. certain things. And then there's a broader spectrum of people, a potential target market that are choosing this for health reasons, right? Based on right. research or studies or personal experience or whatever the case may be. You mentioned also that you decided at some point, hey, I don't want to get a nine to five.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Did you have a negative experience? Was it just like you felt a pull to the entrepreneurial side of things? What was it that ultimately made made you make that decision? And what did you need to have happen in order to make that a reality for yourself?
1: So I, my background's in math and science. That's what I went to school for. And those jobs are, they're very strict and boring and vanilla. And they usually shove you in a room that doesn't have windows and ask you to do kind of arduous tasks all day long. And it was, I I thought my work was interesting. I thought what I was doing was interesting and it was fine, but I've always had a side of me that was kind of more creative and I wanted to be able to nurture that. And we moved to Columbus. I mean, I was very fortunate that my husband got a great job here. And so there wasn't an immediate need for me to find something or have employment right away. And I kind of, thought, well, instead of forcing it, why don't I just take the opportunity to explore what else could be out there for me instead of just immediately saying that I'm forever going to be in this windowless room, you know, doing equations or uh, Excel spreadsheets all day long. Um, So I kind of gave myself the grace to kind of take some time and figure out where I wanted to be. Being an entrepreneur was not what I thought I was going to do. It's been kind of very almost accidental. I knew I wanted to like start this catering business, but like, I never saw myself as being like the founder of something or I figured I would just, you know, I'd be delivering food to people and that was fine. And I never really got into it until I took a inspired entrepreneur class through the WSBA And was like- What does that
0: stand for, WSBA?
1: The Women's Small Business Accelerator. Okay. So yeah, I had a friend who was like, well, if you are going to be doing this catering business, that's a business. So you should probably take a class since you don't know anything. And I was like, oh, okay. And so I went and then I realized that I actually like really liked the, being an entrepreneur is um, very dynamic and challenging. And there's lots of different hats to wear and lots of different places to be and things to be doing. And so I found out that I really, really liked that challenge I liked that it was shifting and moving going back wouldn't have been
0: as excited about it yeah but, but it's on Instagram now yeah so you have to do it you cannot <laughs> undo there. it it is on the ground yeah. all right so it's so interesting yeah. that the kid who couldn't eat anything is starting a, com- a company around food but a food that actually meets a need that you had and yeah. so going through like WSBA and other programs like that when you were doing catering yes right? But you found of all the things that you're doing, the sauce is the hit. Yeah. So had you gone far enough into the catering business where you felt like it was that big of a pivot? Because catering has cost to it, right? You got to buy all this stuff. And, oh yeah, you know, it's, it's not like, oh, I was doing catering. Like I was running a website and I just shut <laughs> yeah. the website down. Like you had a whole bunch of stuff that you probably bought to get the catering. So what was that transition like for you? Um,
1: Yeah. So it was hard because I was also doing some meal prep too. So I had weekly clients that I was delivering to and I really wanted to be able to provide that service, but it was definitely a service that needed more education around it and more awareness than I could provide on my own and given my budget and limitations and being newer to the area too, I think. So for me with the catering, I still have, I have, it's funny you say that I still have so much stuff. So I scaled back and stopped doing the meal prep, which was like a hard decision. Um, but I, and I still have the stuff for the catering and I still cater private events here and there. So I still am using some of that stuff. I still use the kitchen space that I worked out of. But I then started using that kitchen space as dual purpose. So when I had to reserve it for my catering, and then I was experimenting with sauces and I was experimenting with the formulations and weighing things and all the, there's a lot that goes into getting sauces to the market. But um, I was kind of trying to double dip in the catering to get the sauces moving forward. And now the catering just kind of is every once in a while. And I've been mainly focusing on
0: the sauces. (laughs) Enough backstory. Yeah. (laughs) Let's talk about the star of the show. All right. The sauce, right? So where does John and James, the name, come from?
1: Yeah. So uh, that is my husband's and my middle name. Um, And I kind of liked it because it's also his dad's name and my brother's name and his grandpa's name, and my grandpa's name. And uh, Jane was the name that was given to me from my grandmother, who I had a very special relationship with. Um, so it's kind of this nod to me and my husband, but also our families. Because um, I kind of wanted it to have that feel of something. I think when we think about taking a lot of stuff out of a food, we think of it becoming kind of un natural and not something like homey and comforting um but i kind of want to give that back to people who can't have those things or choose not to have those things to have something a little bit more like it came from some real people mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: Did, you know <laughs> yeah and, and you know it's, it's a play also on the the kind of the, the her- heredity side of yeah. a lot of these things right like allergies and, and what you described from celiac and, yeah. and the origins of it i get it and so i have two you brought two options for me to take yes. a look at and probably taste i probably should have ordered yeah. like some chicken skewers know, or something so we could put this on there but you have two flavors here the pow yeah. pow sauce mm-hmm. i like that name and thai free nut sauce Before we get into the flavor profiles, what's in them, what's not in them, let's talk about the business side right now, right? So where are you in the process in terms of development? Is this the final product? Are you still doing testing? And where are you in terms of the business actually going to market? And what's your distribution strategy? I know those are three questions. I'll (laughs) re-ask those questions, but let's start with where are you in the development process? Is this the final product?
1: So those are the little sample bottles, but what's inside of them is the final formulation for both sauces. Mm-hmm. Um, we've kind of been, I've been all over the place with it. Um, and luckily, because I have the science background, I've been able to do a lot of the work on my own to get them to where they need to go. So it's been a little bit faster because I haven't been waiting on labs. But that's the final formulation. It is ready to go. We had trouble finding a co-packer that we could work with.
0: What um, does a co-packer mean?
1: So a co-packer is the person who would actually take the ingredients that I would give them, uh, mix them, and make them into the sauce, and then bottle it for me. Uh, and then I would take it and label it and distribute it. Problem with us with a traditional co-packer is they make everything, so they're making sauces and dips and condiments that have you know all of these things in it that I don't want in my sauces. And for people like me, or my husband, or people with severe nut allergies, you can't have a sauce that's touched those things.
0: Yeah, like you see, like uh, yeah. produce in a factory that also yeah. makes nuts. Blah, blah, yeah, blah, blah, yeah. Blah, blah. Exactly. You can't be in one no. of those factories. Right. Okay,
1: right. Um, and there is technically nowhere in the Midwest that was like a dedicated um, top eight free co-packer, um, and so I experimented with. Um, using one on the West Coast, but getting my first production run done was extremely, extremely expensive. And so I kind of decided to get a little bit creative and narrow it down and found a co-packer in Ohio. And so then I made the final formulation that will work for them, for their equipment, for where products they accept, because co-packers also have their own list of things that companies they want things from or don't want things from or products they will use or won't use. Um, So once I got through their R&D and got talking to the procurement team, I learned about what products they had easily uh, available and would accept. And so then I came up with a final formulation for the sauces. And so this would be what you... Would take home in a jar from wherever.
0: <laughs> all right. So you're <laughs> yeah. not selling these like while you're doing all these development, all this development, um, or?
1: So yeah, we're doing pre sale right now. Okay. So yeah. you're,
0: so these are yeah. going out the door yeah. with your formulation in your kitchen that you use and you bottle these yourself as yeah. they are right now.
1: So yeah, right now we're doing pre sales. Um, I've been giving people samples of the formulation to try out um, and see if they like it. But the actual product, the full-size product, I'm hoping to have done by the end of February, early March. So we're doing pre-sales for that through our website now. So you can go ahead and like reserve your bottle if you want. But yeah, we're just going to launch with those two. Um, and I'm only doing pre-sales for about 1500 so we're getting kind of low <laughs> on those, but hoping that we can get more people to try them then, and then also so I can get it out to some restaurants and retailers. Um, Makes sense. Q two of next year.
0: Makes mm-hmm. sense. All right. So formulation down. Yes. Pre sale website is up. Yep. You can go there and order this. Yes. Co packer in the bag. Good yes. relationship. They're going to produce this stuff. You're going to be able to deliver it. Yes. But all of that t- took money. It took personal investment. I read on the website, you'd kind of started some ways of trying to fund this. Ultimately, there are going to be people listening. Like, so traditionally, people aren't here like, oh, I'm going to go raise venture capital. And I wanted to bring you on because you Mm -hmm. had to seek either a bootstrap method or some alternative financing. So let's talk about the financial side of getting to this point.
1: So yeah, it's, it's, It's been all me. (laughs) Bootstrapping. Yeah, just bootstrapping it. Um, I kind of had a feeling that that was the way it was going to go. Um, Just because I realized that there is a need, but I have to get it in front of the right people. And to get it in front of the right people, it has to be a finished product. Um, so I kind of realized through the process that I wasn't going to be able to pull in like any pre-revenue <laughs> sources of <laughs> of any investment or <laughs> income. Um, so I, yeah, it's just been just me <laughs>
0: you got to get to prototype, right? Yeah. You got to give people something yeah. to taste. It's not this is not a product they can just log online right. and try, right? right? You need to physically try yeah. the sauce to know if you like it. I like that. And so let's dig into Kickstarter, right? Yeah, because it was yeah, recommended yeah. and you learned, learned some lessons there. Yes, I did. So let's chat about that a bit.
1: Okay, yeah. So we had some discussions about what to do just because the cost is really high to get them, especially when I thought I was going to have to do it out of California. So it's, it was suggesting me to do a Kickstarter, And so I said, okay, because I'd done some social media influencing marketing before and knew some people and people were like, yeah, just spread it around. It'll go really, really well. And it'll be a great market test for you. And through the Kickstarter, it was a great market test in that I did get to learn a ton about my product from people. I got to learn a ton about what they wanted from the product and we didn't end up getting funded, but I also understood a lot of why that was happening and where we would fit in more too, because I got to have some really awesome conversations with restaurants, with, you know, people who own really big food companies throughout Columbus and kind of with what they were looking for and what their needs were and where I needed to be to be in front of them. And so it was great. (laughs) And the fact that I did get some really great feedback and I got some really great tips for going forward. Um, And, kind of understood the picture of why this product pre-launch was hard for people to maybe invest in. I mean, I think that food is definitely a little bit more personal and that this is something that you kind of do need to try to understand because we're used to being kind of disappointed by products in this genre quite often, I think. Um, So I think there's also that. But yeah, there were over 100 people who backed it and they answered survey questions for me and were really wonderful. And so I got to learn a lot more about where the product needed to go and what it needs to look like and all that too. So while it didn't get funded, it was really a rewarding experience and that I got mm-hmm. to really learn more about my product than I would have had I not tried that
0: path. Yeah, because you could think about like the super niche at one point becoming the common condiment, kind of like sriracha.
1: Right. Now yeah. it's
0: like on everything. It was like this obscure kind of uh, Asian, you know, to add heat to your food. Now all of a sudden it's on pizza, it's on... Right. It's on everything, right? Yeah. And so that that's, that's kind of like if you are t- if you were talking to an investor about investing in Sriracha, they're going to be like, what? <laughs> you're going to have to make the Sriracha first and right. see if it's a hit and then maybe can, people can come on board later on. So super brave, you know, <laughs> you're, you're doubling down on this thing. Hey, you, you're going to put your own money into it. You're at the point where you're at production run and you're at pre-sale. And one of the things also that I'm trying to kind of wrap my head around is regulation, right? So you got to figure yeah. out like, what's in it, how many calories it is, and, and, and you know, you got to label it exactly right. Is that one of the things that kind of having the right co-packer on your side provides you the ability to do, or is that stuff that you have to do pre-going to your co-packer?
1: So the co-packer can be super helpful with that. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah, like for me, I did do a lot of that work before coming to them because I was having a hard time finding a co-packer. So I was doing a lot of, I was just like anything to push it forward. Um, So we... I do have all that stuff done, um, but as of right now, I can sell in Ohio Mm -hmm. um, because sauces fall under the cannery rules or
0: whatever. I love legal loopholes. (laughs) Nice.
1: So in Ohio right now, because I um, am approved through the Ohio Department of Agriculture, Mm -hmm. uh, and so I can sell these in the form kind of like they are now. And I have the... I got the... The UPC is done. The trademarks are applied for. The nutrition facts have been. So Ohio State's been really, really wonderful in that they have their huge food science lab there. And it's very low cost in comparison to other ones, which is awesome. So I've been taking full advantage of Ohio State's food science labs and all of the different things that they'll do for you. I mean, they'll test your product for literally everything if you want. Um, So that's kind of, it's been really great. And it's been really great that it's been down the road and I can kind of pop in and say, hi, you know, how's it going with this? Or what are you guys working on here? So, I mean, that took months. I set my sauce up for shelf life testing end of last April. Um, So, and I finally just got this Mm -hmm. done now in December.
0: That's awesome. So there's a lag time. You need patience. Yeah, yes. And a lot of work, even while you're waiting. So pre-sale, how are you getting the word out about, I mean, besides doing this awesome podcast that everybody's going (laughs) to hear about your product yeah uh, what else are you doing to get the word out ahead of this big launch in February?
1: Yeah. so um well, so we've been uh, we did a couple of markets, uh, letting people taste the product. Uh, and then early next year, I'm planning to have a few tasting parties. So just kind of let people come and eat and taste the sauces kind of feel it out for themselves. I am very fortunate that I have friends who have shared it on their social media and to their email lists and have been really, really wonderful too. So yeah, that's kind of that's kind of what I've been doing so far.
0: You've been doing yeah. cooking videos. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. super stalking the cooking videos, the West African yeah. Soup, yeah. peanut. Yeah, I'm yeah. on that. And I could see cookbook in the future yeah. of how to, you know do a lot of things that are allergen-free and are for people either who are making a lifestyle decision or people who actually have to eat a certain way. Yeah. I could see that being another way of kind of getting the word out about these sauces because, yeah, it's one thing. It's a sauce. It's nice. You can add it to things, but for for people who are doing their own meal prep because they have to be careful knowing what to make and how to make it is also an awesome way to get the word out.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. And we definitely, we have recipes and we're going to launch a blog part of the website soon that'll include like some recipes and videos and fun tips. Um, I did do that for a little bit when we first got here, um, just in um, content creation for natural food brands. So, um, yeah, I.
0: I like when solopreneurs use the word "we." I always laugh to myself, like when I'm talking to them about this podcast. Like, yeah, we're gonna do the blog, and then we're oh, I'm gonna do the blog yeah. section of the website. Yeah, <laughs> I'm giving myself more work to do. Okay, awesome. Well, yeah. uh, it's been great having this conversation with you. Let's talk about like plans, right? Goals, objectives over the next year yeah. or so. You know, after launch, what are some things that you're thinking about that would be, hey, this is a milestone? I can pop some bottles here.
1: <laughs> My biggest goal for next year is to be able to get onto shelves in, in a retailer, like any retailer by the end of the year. Um, it's kind of a fast turnaround. I want to start in restaurants. Because I think that that's also the place where there's the greatest need for that. Because that's the place where I think people on diets or people who have allergies struggle the most is when you go out to eat. You're fine when you're at home. You know what you can eat. You can make those foods, but then you go out to eat with your friends, and you're stuck in this position where you know you're offered something very bland or boring or not fun. Um, so I think that I I think that these sauces provide a large value to restaurants, into people going to restaurants. Um, so the, my first goal is to kind of get into restaurants. And then I'd really, really like to be on the shelves at a retailer by the end of the year.
0: I love it. That's a big goal, right? You <laughs> yeah. got to launch in February. You got to get in the stores before the end of the year. Well, Jessica, thank you so much for spending time with me. This has been awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, Sweet. I wish, again, I wish I could have tried it on air. You know, I feel like, hey, it would it be inappropriate it. to just no, lick it right it. now? Okay, all right, yeah, let's go just go with it. the straight. Yeah. Okay, so right now, guys, this is the Thai free nut on the cover. Uh, it has, like, skewers, which yeah. I said would have been awesome yeah. with this, right? Mm-hmm. All right, so nice, beautiful color. yeah, it's giving me yum yum sauce vibes at so, the that
1: one's like a Thai peanut, but it doesn't have any nuts in it. so <laughs>
0: nice. <laughs> this is really nice. So, but how did you get the peanut flavor like that, though?
1: Um. Well, it's that part of that secret, but <laughs> no, um, it's the it's, secret sauce. <laughs>
0: it's the secret sauce, right? <laughs> the secret ingredient. Okay, so yeah. guys, um, there but, is no peanuts in here.
1: No, it's made with a sun butter base, which is a common peanut butter replacement.
0: But it smells and so then, good.
1: Yeah, there's. I mean, it's really simple. There's kelp. Kelp, uh, shiitake mushrooms, a little bit of lemon juice, some agave.
0: Smells good. (laughs) Because, you know, eating is like, it's a total experience. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right? And yeah. so, for like, people are not taking ketchup and putting it up to their nose, right? Because <laughs> right. they're just used to ketchup, right? Right. But when you're opening something for the first time, you're trying to get the whole experience, and I'm definitely getting the peanut vibe here. Yeah. And the taste is really good. Thank you. Good aftertaste, too. Oh,
1: awesome.
0: <laughs> and we're eating raw sauce here, guys. <laughs> All right. So, this one is a little bit lighter color.
1: Yeah. It's, like, a little more...
0: Pink,
1: kind of. Yeah. (laughs) And
0: so we're doing, this is the pow pow sauce. Yeah,
1: that
0: one's like a yum yum. Okay, more tang here.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Okay. I'm getting mayo-y.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay, was that what you were going for? Okay. Like a kicked up French or kind of a mayo-y kind of? It's, yeah, or, like, just one of those, like. She's like, I'm going to agree with you, but that's not what I was trying to do. Okay, so <laughs> no, tell me no, what is, okay, no, it's— Okay, that's like, the vibe that I'm getting. supposed
1: to be, like, more like a yum-yum. So that one's, yeah. like, your creamy mayo There's a little bit of spice, a little mm-hmm. bit of sweet to it, um, and a little bit of tang.
0: Yeah, and um, there are little, um, like, specks of things that I definitely am getting, like, seasoning vibe in yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you could see. So visually, it's there. You got the little specks in there. So I know it's not, like, just a— Like a a formulation. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) There's like real (laughs) stuff in here. (laughs) Great. Yeah. And the colors are really nice. Like, I'm not put off. You know, like food, you got to get everything right, right? The color has to just be right because it can't be too brown, you know? Yeah. But yeah, I love it. And the and it tastes really, really great.
1: Oh, thank you. I'm glad you enjoy it. Yeah, yes. That's that's the point too, is I want it to be good enough too for like if you don't have any allergies, you don't have any intolerances, you could still enjoy the sauce. I mean, mm-hmm. it's still all natural. It's still made without any preservatives. It's non-GMO.
0: It's Consistency <laughs> <Yeah>. is nice. <laughs> like it moves in there. Yeah. You know, it's not like I'm gonna have to like. Yeah. Shake it out of the bottle; it's gonna pour out of the bottle too. Yeah, but not be too soupy. You got you're onto something here. <laughs> thank
1: you. I thank like you. it.
0: So this is Elio Harm, the food critic of Six One Four Startups. <laughs> that was my assessment of John and Jane sauces. Well, thank you so much. And I close out every podcast with my one takeaway. And my biggest takeaway from this podcast is you gotta put skin in the game. Yeah.
1: yeah.
0: Right. No matter how much uncertainty you have, no matter what the obstacles are gonna be. If you have a vision of something and you want to build a great company and you want to build a great product, the obstacles are the way. Thank you so much for joining us on another episode. Peace. 614 Startups Nation. It's a wrap. Thank you for listening. You can listen to this podcast on our website, www.614startups.com and on all your favorite podcast channels like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, and Google Podcasts. Make sure you like, subscribe, and comment. Also, 614startups.com is your one-stop shop for Columbus startup news, interviews, and events. Make sure you make 614startups.com part of your daily routine to stay up to date.